And we're looking this morning at uh, James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4. But I'll just begin uh, reading uh, with verse 1 through verse 4. James chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 4. Listen now, once again, to the reading of God's holy word. James, a bondservant of the God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His Word. <clears throat> o gracious God in heaven, we, we do praise You and thank You for the truth that You have given to us in Your Word, that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this passage this morning, we pray that You would open our hearts to hear and to receive the truth that is here, and that you might truly um, bless it to us as it goes forth in the power of your Spirit, and that would find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil that brings about great and abundant fruit for your glory. We pray now for your blessing upon your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the book of James is one of the most beloved book of the Bible, as people really like the book of James, many, mainly because it's a very practical book that clearly lays out what we must do and how we must live as those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we noted last time, putting our faith into practice isn't always easy. In fact, it can seem nearly impossible at times. But that's just the point. It is hard. And in fact, it, uh, there are times in our own strength, it is impossible. It's impossible. And this is why we need to keep our faith and our trust in the one who created us, in the one who called us, and the one who redeemed us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Him alone, we find the grace and we find the strength to do what He has called us to do, and, that, and we have the grace to endure what He has appointed for us to endure. Now, the Apostle James wanted his readers to really grab hold of this reality right away. And so the very first challenge that he presents to uh, his uh, readers is, is quite a doozy. Rejoicing in the midst of times of trial and testing of your faith. It seems kind of shocking that James would begin uh, his letter to Christians who presently at that time were actually enduring severe trials and afflictions. And then to challenge them, look my brethren, just count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, if someone were to say this to us in the midst of a particular hard time that, that we were going through, and even if we knew that they were being sincere and well-meaning in telling us, well, it could very well come across as insensitive and, and unhelpful. Right? We don't want to hear that. 
Well, before we jump all over James for lacking compassion and understanding, well, we should really consider what he has to say and actually why we should be challenged to rejoice when our faith is tested by trials. Now, it will be helpful if we begin, though, by noting first the nature of the trials that he's talking about. And the first thing that we want to note is that trials, hardships, difficult times, tragedy, and suffering, that all these things happen. Why? Because of sin in the world. We're sinners, and we're surrounded by sinners, and we live in a fallen and sinful world. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, all creation, not just Adam and Eve and their descendants, but all creation was affected by that sin and fell under the curse of that sin. And we see this already in, in Gen- back in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve uh, tried to hide from God because of their shame and guilt. The woman... God said to the woman that she will now endure pain and suffering during childbirth and that her husband would rule over her. And the joy of working in the the fields as the man was given to do, well, now it has become toil by the sweat, sweat of his brow. And that even the ground itself was cursed because of man's sin and it wasn't going to easily bring forth its fruit. But he had to work at it with great difficulty. And yet, at the same time, thorns and thistles would actually freely grow. And then fear. Fear was introduced into the world. Fear between man and and the creatures. And then also envy. Selfishness and pride would disrupt the relationship between the man and the woman and between all people afterward. And of course, the greatest misery brought on by the fall into sin was the pain and suffering leading to death. Various kinds of trials, whatever they may be, are in the world because of sin. And it's really important that we remember this key truth. That we suffer because there's sin in the world. Bad things happen because there's sin in the world. And indeed there are various kinds of trials that we can encounter in life. And James clearly points this out. In fact, the word used here for trials can also be translated in the New Testament as either trials or temptations. And how you translate it, of course, depends on the context. And so, for example, we have uh, here in uh, in James uh, 1 verse 2, it says trials. But Jesus uses the very same word in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 when He says, "And Do not lead us into temptation." but deliver us from the evil one. Now, when we think of trials, we often think of things that happen to us from the outside, right? Maybe uh, we get uh, catch an illness, or we lose our job, or there's troubles in our relationship. We, we suffer pain, loss, or are being mistreated by others. 
And again, as we noted before, those to whom James is writing have suffered persecution. And indeed, from what he says in his letter, what he's going to, when he's going to go on to say, it seems like they're even enduring poverty and, and economic oppression. And so that's trials, the things that tend to come from without. But when we think of temptations, we often think of very different things. Temptations are the inward struggles of the heart and mind. Envy. Hatred, greed, lust, pride, and selfishness. And so something happens, we, we see something, or we, we hear something, and we're tempted by these sinful thoughts and desires that may even lead us to be tempted into sinful actions. And so trials come from without, and temptations often from within. So while there's a difference, again, depending on the context, well, they're obviously related since it is the same word. In fact, James is going to deal with both trials and temptations in this letter because both were plaguing those to whom he was writing, even as both trials and temptations in all their various forms plague us each and every day. As James will point out later in his letter, God doesn't tempt us. But, God does allow trials to come our way. And He also allows Satan and our own sinful hearts to tempt us. But as we'll also see later, God's purpose in these things is very different from Satan's purpose. We should also note about the nature of these trials that they often come quickly and, and unannounced. Right? The word fall into is, is a literal rendering uh, of the word here, and it can also mean to shipwreck. Now, you never know when, when sickness is going to come. You never know when an accident is, is going to happen. You never know when disaster is going to strike or when a temptation is going to rise up in your path. And so this is why Jesus reminded His disciples over and over and over again to be vigilant, right? to pray at all times, to, to always be ready, to always be on the alert so that they wouldn't fall into temptation. Certainly if we knew these things were coming, well, then we could prepare for them and we might even be able to avoid them. But we can't because they spring up suddenly even from unexpected sources. And so the best way to be prepared for them is to always be prepared and to always be ready as we stand in faith for these trials to come, for these temptations to come, because we will fall into them. But there's something else that we need to be aware of in, in connection to trials and, and even temptations. We know they'll come, because we're sinners who live in a fallen and sinful world, and we know that they'll come unannounced and in a variety of ways. But for those who trust in Christ for their salvation, for us, for Christians, we know that we will encounter various trials because Jesus promised that they would come and that we would face them. When Jesus sent out the twelve 
a two by two in his, during the time of his ministry, he told them very plainly in Matthew 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Right, so just think about that picture, that word picture. Sheep going out in the midst of wolves. Now, how do wolves typically treat sheep? They attack them. They seek to destroy them. They seek to dis- devour them. And that's exactly why then Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out amongst these wolves. And then He warns what that means. He warns about beatings and imprisonments and persecutions of things as that they can expect to happen. And why should they expect this? Well, later Jesus reminds him in John 15, verse 20, that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. See, Christians can count on being assaulted and persecuted because the world rejected Christ and assaulted and persecuted Him. And we're not above our Master. The Apostle Paul, if you remember when we were studying Philippians, the Apostle Paul reminded the Philippians of this very thing. Right? The Philippians, like those to whom James was writing, were enduring many hard trials and suffering persecution. But Paul reminds them back in Philippians 1 verse 29, he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, well that's a great blessing to be granted to believe in in Christ. And when we talked about that passage, it was giving a gift. We have this gift of salvation to believe in Christ. But then he goes on to say, not only to believe in Him, but it's been granted on behalf of Christ to also suffer for His sake. And that the suffering that we endure in the name of Christ is a gift granted to us and given to us. And in case we try to dismiss Paul's words there, as spoken to to other people long ago in places and situations very far from our own, well then let's take heed to his words to Timothy and Second Timothy two verses uh, three to twelve, or Second Timothy uh, three verse twelve, where Paul says this: Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All here means all, right? and it includes everyone who seeks to live as a true disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you, if you might profess the name of Christ, but you don't really truly desire to follow in Christ's path and to live a godly life, well, then maybe you don't have to worry about persecution. But all who desire to live a true, sincere, godly life, you will suffer persecution. As a follower of Jesus. We all can expect to endure trials and hardships. Again, not just because we're sinful humans living in a fallen and sinful world. But we can 
expect to endure these things because we profess and confess the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we're not immune from enduring all that Jesus endured on our behalf. Remember that key part, that Jesus endured what He endured for us, for our sakes. And in order to identify with Him, we're now called and appointed to suffer as He did. Now here we need to be especially clear. We will face trials and temptations in our lives. We will face sickness, we will face poverty, we'll face pain and suffering, imprisonment, possibly even death. Well, eventually we will all face death. But even death through persecution we may face. And when we endure these things, we need to remember that it's not because we have no faith. It's not because we don't have enough faith. It's not because we have just a weak, simple faith. But it's because we do have faith that we will endure these things. We may even have a strong faith. In fact, oftentimes the stronger our faith, the more trials and persecutions will come our way. And this is key for us to remember and to bear witness to in the world, even among Christians. Because perhaps the greatest lie that the purveyors of the false prosperity gospel inflict on those who follow after them is that physical and material prosperity are to be had if you just had more faith. If you just had more faith, you wouldn't get sick. If you just had more faith, that cancer would not be in your body. If you just had more faith, you'd have enough wealth and money to pay all your bills and to live a luxurious life. And if you don't have these things, if you don't have good health and and material prosperity, well then you must not have faith. Or even enough faith. Friends, this runs contrary to everything that we find in the Bible. And yet it's a destructive teaching. And I remember long ago when I was in college, there was a a woman giving a presentation in class. And and she was unfortunately caught up in this kind of uh, prosperity thinking. And she was talking about this dear friend of hers who had cancer and they were praying. And then as she's doing this presentation, she's weeping because she, this woman that they were praying for was not healed. And this woman's testifying, bear witness of how great a woman of faith she was. And yet she still succumbed to cancer and death. And this was a, a kind of a conundrum for her. It's like, well, if she would have just had, there, there she's being told that she would have had enough faith, her friend would have lived and would have been healed. And she knew this woman had faith. And yet she still suffered and died. It's destructive to people's faith to believe in this false prosperity gospel. And it's so widespread. I mean, it's not even in the crazy, wacky churches anymore. And the the TV preachers. But it's infiltrated even into much of the broad evangelicalism. 
We need to be aware of it and warn others against it. Because again, it runs contrary to everything that the Bible tells us. Because of your faith in Christ, you will fall into various kinds of trials and temptations. So be ready and be prepared. But why, we may wonder. Why does God allow his people to suffer under trials and temptations? Well, note what James says here in verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's interesting that James is here equating trials and temptations with the testing of one's faith. And I'm sure we can all uh, attest to the truth of this, right? When we're faced with, with a sudden trial, perhaps involving ourselves or a loved one, it often tests our faith. And, and one of the things we, we may first wonder is, God, how could you let this happen? How could you allow this catastrophe of, of a tornado or a hurricane or some terrible storm or an or a, uh, automobile wreck? So our faith is put to the test. We wonder and we question, we were suddenly uh, brought to, to question what it is that we believe to be true about God, about His character, and about His Word. Are these things true? God has, has said that He's going to watch over us and care for us and bless us, and yet these terrible things happen. We face similar crises of faith, even when faced with temptation to sin. In fact, as you think about it, this is what led to the very first sin. Right? Satan tempted Eve. What did he say to her? Has God really said? He tried to plant a seed of doubt. Causing her to question and doubt the truth of God's word. Even the truth that she had previously and unquestionably believed. But now there's doubt. And the doubt took root. And it led to sin. So we may wonder, well, God, why does God allow us to face temptations and trials? Well, as we noted before, we must understand that God's purpose in allowing these things to come to us and the purpose of Satan in bringing them before us are all very different. Right? Satan, Satan tempts us because his one desire is to destroy us and to lead us into sin. This is his desire. And then we think about uh, in the book of Job where we see this being played out. Right? Satan's desire and intent with Job was that Satan wanted to inflict Job with all kinds of suffering. First with uh, you know, uh, destroying his crops and his wealth and his, uh, even killing his children. And then ultimately after that, even afflicting his body. Right? And then Satan's desire was to destroy Job, to get him to curse God. Well, indeed, friends, Satan sets his sights on us the very same way, with the very same outcome in mind. When he sets before us temptations, he's trying to destroy us. He's trying to lead us into sin. He's trying to get us to curse God when we face these kinds of trials. And to doubt God's goodness and His mercy. And to doubt God's plan and His, His love for us. He wants to destroy us. 
But see, God's plan and purpose, we know, because God is sovereign. And then we see this again played out in the book of Job. God is, God is even sovereign over Job, or over Satan, and doesn't allow Satan to take Job's life. He can do anything else, but he can't take his life. And Satan must obey. And so God's plan and purpose overrules Satan's plan. God allows these times of trial and testing so that our faith in Him might grow and be strengthened. Right? And this is precisely what James is getting at here. The word he uses for testing is a word that we use to describe the process of making precious metal like gold and silver. And so more uh, and the process to make these things more precious and valuable. See, when, when gold or silver is, is first mined, it comes kind of these clumps of ore uh, containing other elements and particles and uh, just what we call impurities. And the ore is then put into a furnace and an extremely high heat. And this is the old way to do it. Uh, to do it now, it's all done by chemicals. But back in this time, this is how they did it. They, they would put an intense fire and everything would melt. And the metal and the impurities would melt. But since the impurities were often lighter than the metal, the impurities would rise to the top. And the, uh, the metal worker would then scrape off those impurities and then allow the metal to cool. And what you would have left is, is something of greater value because it is a, in a, mure, a, a more pure form. Of course, the more you would repeat that process, the pure and more valuable the metal would get. And so note in that illustration, and it's amazing, wonderful how the Lord uses this uh, term here in the scriptures through, uh, his, uh, through the, the men that he's uh, inspiring to write this, that this, they increased in value, right? The metal increases in value because it's been put through the fire. And that's essentially the same point that James is making here. Right? Trials and even temptations test the faith that we already have. And God's plan and purpose for allowing these things to come into our lives is that our faith might become pure, that it might grow and improve and deepen. God's purpose is that our faith would be refined and built up. And James is clear. Right? This is what we ought to know. Right? And so just like that metal gets pure. When it's put into the fire, well, so our faith is to grow and get pure when we're put into the fire, so to speak. And so these things are things we ought to know. We ought to know them because, again, Jesus said that we would be tested and tried. It's what we ought to know because it's the same thing that Jesus himself endured on our behalf. And the writer of the Hebrews notes this in Hebrews 5.8 saying, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. As Jesus learned obedience through suffering, we learn obedience. And we grow in our faith when that faith is tempted by trials and temptations. But how? James continues, the, the testing of our faith produces or, or works in us patience, endurance, perseverance, and steadfastness. And again, these are key characteristics. In the passage where Jesus warns about the, uh, the coming end times and the trials and the hardships and the persecutions that his people are facing, he assures in Matthew 24 saying, but he who endures to the end 
will be saved. And so our faith must persevere. Our faith must endure. Our faith must patiently endure. It must be strengthened for the long race to the end. You know, you can't just go out and run a marathon without first training for it. You need to, to build strength and endurance in your body. Well, as we run this race of life, pressing on toward the end goal of eternal glory, our faith also must be strong to get to the end. And how is our faith made strong? It's exercised by trusting in God and patiently relying on His grace when we face various trials in our lives. It's strengthened by trusting Him and looking for the way out that He's provided when we're faced with temptations. Patience means enduring and having the strength to press on to the final victory. It doesn't mean that we face our trials passively. Right? Just suffering through them with a defeatist kind of a whatever will be, what it will be attitude. Patient doesn't, patience doesn't mean that we just let our trials and our temptations run over us and, and have their way with us. No, it means facing them with confidence that in Christ, the victory is ours. And that we'll persevere and grow through these trials. Because that's what God's plan and purpose and desire is for us. Not to destroy us, that's Satan's plan. God's plan is to strengthen us and grow our faith. Now we may look around at all the possible trials and temptations that we could face. And, and, we, and sometimes we may do this, right? We see somebody going through, wow, I, I, I could never you know, go through that kind of a trial. Right? If I had to do that, I, I, just, I just couldn't do it. And certainly, already, right? When we do that, already we're beginning to doubt. And we're beginning to, to express that faithlessness. It's already creeping in. But you see, it's impossible for us to know how we're going to respond to a particular trial or temptation until the time of testing actually comes upon us. Right? Remember Peter. Peter says, you know, Jesus says, Look, you're gonna be you're gonna deny me. I'm not gonna do it. I'll even die with you. I I will not do that. I will not deny you. Well, good for you, Peter. And that's a short time later, when the trial, the temptation came before him, he crumbled. He wasn't ready. We don't know how strong we are until the time of testing actually comes. Because it's at the time when our hour of need comes, not before, but at the precise time that our need comes, that's when the grace and the mercy that we need to press on will come through the Holy Spirit. That's God's promise. That the Spirit will be there with us at the very time we need help. And of this we can be assured because we know, again, that God, our God, is a sovereign God. He's, 
He's in control of all things. And if the sovereign God is on our side, then truly we will be patient. We will endure and we will press on. And the, and the work Christ has begun in us will truly be brought to completion. And so this then becomes the chief purpose of our trials. Our faith is tested and through the time of testing, it's made stronger and it grows so that it endures to the end. And then there, waiting at the end, is what James calls here in verse 4, the perfect work of patience, which is being made perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, what is this perfection? Well, it's complete perfection in Christ. It's having our faith mature into its full-blown glory of being perfect even as Christ is perfect. It's, it's becoming complete and whole in our pursuit of Christ-likeness. The various trials and temptations that we face, they stretch and grow our faith, and the more we encounter them, the more we have opportunity to grow in grace and, and to have our faith strengthened. And with a strong, vibrant faith, we're able to press on to the end, press on to the end of the race and reach for the prize that's there waiting for us, perfection, full and complete perfection in Jesus Christ. And it comes about because of the trials and the temptations that we've suffered in this life. Now to see how this works, we again turn to the example of the Lord Jesus Himself that He set for us in Hebrews, 10, or Hebrews 2 verse 10. We read this, For it was fitting for Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. It was through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ that not only our salvation was secured for all eternity, but the purpose and the work of Christ itself was perfected. And how do we know that? Because even now Jesus sits at the right hand of God, reigning and ruling over all things as King of kings and Lord of lords, all for the blessing and the benefit of the church. And so we understand here now the nature of trials. And we've considered some uh, some insight into the purpose of trials. but, But what about the joy? How do we find joy then in the midst of these very trying times? Well, first consider what James doesn't mean by this. By counting it joy when we fall into various trials, James is not saying that we deny pain and suffering or or that we pretend that they're they're not really happening or we simply just need to, uh, you know, kind of pretend and put a smile on our face pretending it's not happening. That's not what he's meaning here by joy. Considered this before, but you know, read through the Psalms, and as you read through the Psalms, you you see that they contain very raw, very hard, very real emotions in the midst of pain and suffering and distress. There's no denying the misery that trials can bring. But one of the blessings and the benefits of that we have of singing the Psalms is that it helps to instruct us and to teach us to be able to praise God even in the midst of our distress. To praise God with true and sincere confessions of the heart and the state of our being to God, even when it isn't pleasant. 
is it reminds us of the truth that we can't fool God. And so we shouldn't just be, or so we should just be honest with Him, right? And to be upfront, okay, Lord, this is miserable. And again, that we see that all throughout the Psalms. There's no hiding the pain and the distress. So again, finding joy in the midst of our trials doesn't mean that we that we fake it and then we ignore the pain and the suffering. It's there. It's real. It also doesn't mean that we should relish in trials. Right? Or even foolishly walk into temptation believing that if we somehow welcome them and seek them out, our faith is going to grow all the more quickly. Well, this is simply absurd. Remember, we face these things because of our sin and sin in the world. And, and there truly ought not to be anything desirable for us about sin and the fruit that it brings forth. Because it leads to destruction. We shouldn't desire to fall into temptation. We shouldn't desire to, to um, uh, fall, you know, have these trials come upon us. And yet, some people actually pray. They pray for persecution to come because they believe it's going to purge the church. Well, now as much as the church may need to be purged, why would we desire something that would be sure to bring much pain, suffering, and death to us and to our loved ones. It's foolishness. Or some people try to grow in their resistance to sin. And this is, this is very common. It, it, uh, they try to grow in their resistance to sin by putting themselves in situations where they know they're going to be tempted. Right? They're fooled into thinking that, look, if I, if I play in and around or with fire, I'm not going to get burned. But again, this is ridiculous, not to mention fatally dangerous. People play around with sin, and they hang around where they're going to be tempted, thinking they're going to overcome it, but they end up getting pulled in. Indeed, though God allows us to be tested, we ought not to put Him to the test. So no, finding joy in the midst of trials doesn't mean that we uh, foolishly go looking for trouble. Besides, as we said before, we don't have to do that. Right? The trouble is sure to find us on its own. We don't have to go looking for these things. So then what does it mean that we are to count it all joy when we face these various trials? Well, we must first remember that the root of joy is contentment. Right? Joy isn't a, a transient, fickle emotion that comes and goes with changing circumstances. It's anchored in being content with God and all that He's graciously provided for us. The Apostle Paul suffered much in his life and ministry, and, but he was also filled with great joy. And the source of this joy is because he had learned to be content in whatever circumstances he was in. Right? He learned by his, uh, this by trusting in the Lord's plan and purpose for him and by finding his all in all in Christ Jesus. Again, we, we looked at this when we studied Philippians. Philippians 1 verse 21, Paul is able to say, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's contentment. And so if we're content in Christ and in Him alone... If He's our life and our reason for being, then we can find joy in the midst of our trials knowing that God is a most sovereign God who created all things and He even now sustains all things by the word of His power. 
We find joy then in the midst of our trials when we stand still and when we rest in God's peace, knowing that He is God and that He reigns and that He rules over all things for our good and His glory. We can find joy in the midst of trials, knowing that this sovereign creator of heaven and earth is most gracious toward us. And that He so greatly loves us that He sent His own beloved Son to suffer and die for our sins. And Paul says in Romans that if God didn't spare His own Son, right, giving us the greatest gift that He could possibly give, Paul then goes on to say in Romans 8.32, How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? God has already given us the greatest gift. How will He not also give us the grace and the strength that we need to endure our trials and when faced with temptation, He will provide the way out. Knowing this should bring us great joy. But we can also rejoice in the midst of our trials knowing that we have a high priest who not only continually makes intercession for us, but He also supplies to us the grace and help in time of need because He Himself can truly sympathize with us, having been tempted and tried in all ways that we are, yet without sin. And this is a tremendous blessing for us and worthy of of rejoicing because Jesus, our Savior, knows exactly what we're going through. He can identify with us in the suffering that we endure in this life. And then finally, we can rejoice in the midst of our trials Because we know that God has a good and perfect plan for us. That by them, by these trials and through them, He's forming and fashioning us after the perfect likeness of His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian author uh, C.S. Lewis uses an illustration uh, to... uh, to demonstrate this. And he speaks of, of you have a, a large stone. And then there's a sculptor who's using his chisel and his heavy hammer uh, to strike one blow after another on this stone. And with each strike, there, a piece of the stone falls off. And if the, if the sculptor hits with a gentle blow, well then just small pieces of the stone are going to fall off. But then if he, if he hits it with a mighty swing, right, huge pieces are going to fall off. And in the midst of it, as we look on, it might all seem kind of random. right? There's a hit here and, and a hit there. And there's going to be rubble all around uh, with a, a now jagged and rough looking stone. And we're like, well, what is that? And surely we know that if the stone had nerves and could feel things, well, it would hurt immensely with each and every blow whether it was a gentle one or a, or a mighty one, it would hurt. But over time, as we look on, a certain defined shape appears. And eventually, the sculpture, the sculptor finishes his chiseling. He wipes away all the dust and all the rubble. And all that's left is a masterpiece made by the Father's hands a perfect and pure and glorious image of His most beloved Son. Beloved of God, we are these blocks of stone. And we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials. As we get hit 
and hit time and again, sometimes softly, sometimes mightily, with all these trials and these temptations. But we can rejoice because we know and trust and believe that one day we will be made perfect like Christ. And we will then stand there as masterpieces of God's grace in His glorious presence forever and ever where there is fullness of joy. Rejoice. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And truly may the Spirit of Christ work this grace in you to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you. And we rejoice and give thanks for your word and the truth that is for us. And this is a hard lesson because we don't like to feel pain. And yet we acknowledge that this is our condition because of our sin. Because in the world in which we live, the fallen sinful world. And yet also, not just because of that, but because of our faith in Christ. We know that we will endure pain and suffering and persecution because we bear light, the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. And just as the world hated Him, the darkness of the world hated the light and sought to snuff Him out, they will respond to us who bear that light in the very same way. But Lord, we count it all joy even as your apostles did when they were beaten for proclaiming the name of Christ in the temple. They rejoiced that they were able to suffer for your name. Father, we pray that you would give us the grace and the strength. We know that many trials and temptations come before us. And sometimes we struggle and we may grow weak, but we pray that you would help us to remember these truths. That you have a plan and purpose. That you are the sovereign God. That you are seeking to use whatever that trial is. that Whatever that temptation we face. To make us stronger. To make us more and more like Christ. And Lord that's our desire as well. And so we pray that you would truly protect us. And lead us and guide us. And that you would continue to form and fashion us. Until we come to that point of perfection. And Christ returns on the last great day. And we enjoy the fullness of your presence. Because we shall see you as you are. Because we shall be like as your Son is. Perfect and righteous. We praise you and thank you, Lord, for these things. And we pray that you would truly uh, just give each understanding. And that you would draw us all closer to yourself as we profess these truths. We pray that... You would help us to minister these things to others who may be suffering. To be a great witness to them and an encouragement to them. And then we pray that you would be glorified in these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.